Hello and welcome to Leanne Ward Nutrition, a podcast where you will find expert advice on all things health and nutrition related. Each week, we will discuss my three niche areas of gut health, emotional eating and sustainable fat loss. My hope for this podcast is to cut through the BS online and show you real, practical and evidence-based messages around nutrition so you can live your best life day in and day out. So sit tight, buckle up, and let's get started on today's podcast. Welcome back to the Leanne Ward Nutrition Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by my brand new business, Lean Green Living. Lean Green Living is a growing range of sustainable health and wellness products designed and owned by myself. I am so proud of this new business and its focus on environmentally friendly alternatives to household and kitchen staples. At the moment, I have four amazing products available for purchase at Lean Green Living. They are my eco-friendly beeswax food wraps, my 100% organic cotton reusable tote shopping bags, my daily health planners, and my weekly meal planners. All these items are available worldwide through my website, and if you have an Amazon Prime account, you may be eligible for free shipping through Amazon. Please head to www.leangreenliving.com.au for more information and purchases. Today's podcast is with accredited nutritionist and sports dietitian, Taylor Ryan. Taylor's experience stems within the sports performance realm, where she has predominantly worked with strength and conditioning athletes from recreational to elite standards, particularly within the CrossFit, powerlifting and weightlifting fields. Taylor's passion for performance-based sports nutrition developed from her personal experience in Olympic weightlifting, where she competed nationally within a specific weight class category. Taylor's personal experiences as a weightlifter and CrossFit coach have led her to understand firsthand the pivotal role that nutrition plays in performance enhancement, body composition, injury prevention, and management. You can follow Taylor on her Instagram, which is at the underscore sports dietitian, or find out more from her website, which is thesportsdietitian.com.au. On today's podcast, Taylor and I start off by discussing how she came to be working in the space of nutrition and CrossFit and what she enjoys about it. We then talk about the nutritional requirements of CrossFit athletes and also everyday people like myself who may do some strength training or some harder, more intense sessions. We chat about carbohydrate consumption before, during and after exercise and the evidence around carb consumption and how the body utilizes it. We quickly discuss keto and low carb for athletes, intermittent fasting for athletes, carb and calorie cycling for rest days versus training days, and the elixir of sports nutrition, protein. How much do we need? We then talk about our last macronutrient fat and why it's so important in our diet and what happens when we cut our fat intake too low. Finally, Taylor and I discuss supplements for CrossFit athletes and Taylor's preference for measuring body composition or tracking progress with her clients and athletes. I can't wait to bring you guys today's podcast. I'm sorry it's taken a little while to get up. And here is our chat with Taylor. Welcome, Taylor, to our podcast today. I'm really excited to chat all things nutrition for CrossFit and high-intensity exercise. Thank you so much for having me on board, Leanne. I'm really looking forward to it. Awesome. Well, please start by telling our listeners a little bit more about yourself and how you came to working in this quite niche space of like nutrition for CrossFit athletes. Um, so thank you. So I've been in qualified sports nutrition for roughly five to six years now. I got into this space because during my degree, I was competing in Olympic weightlifting for in the 53 kilo category for roughly four to five years. So my entire degree, that's when I stepped into um, being looked after by sports nutrition myself, who you had on board on this podcast before, which is Angie Clark. Mm-hmm. So pretty much as soon as I started doing that from a performance perspective on nutrition, um, I already loved obviously strength and conditioning myself. And that's how I stemmed into, I guess, the CrossFit world. Because on top of that, um, I used to coach CrossFit during my degree uh, for about five to six years as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, my exposure post from a personal perspective and then coaching it and then understanding it is guess where I fell into the space of um, CrossFit scene itself which is pretty cool. Yeah, because I love that you just really specialize within that sort of CrossFit space as well. But do you still do powerlifting as well or you've sort of more transitioned out of that and you really just do CrossFit now? Yeah, so I just do CrossFit itself. I actually had a pretty shitty injury. Um, I ruptured my Achilles, which is probably the worst thing that any um, lifter Ooh, could have. So yeah. that was um, full surgery. So then, I mean, you can bounce back from that, but obviously that's when I then became qualified and just started doing more of the CrossFit, um, I guess, workout itself. And that's pretty much what I do every single day yeah. now for training. So a mix of actually helping um, athletes with their nutrition, but also obviously training them as well. 
Yeah, yeah. Oh no, no. So as in, sorry, my apologies. As in, as in myself, I do the the training aspect of CrossFit. So I still live and breathe it from a personal oh, perspective. Yes, okay. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as I came qualified as a dietitian, I couldn't manage both being a CrossFit coach as well as um, dietetics. So I had to give that um, a bit of a flick. But um, no, I still I only train it now, which is which is cool. Yeah, awesome. Um, and what do you enjoy most about um, working with CrossFit athletes? I guess like for me, I think about a CrossFit. Ath- CrossFit athlete and they all they always look just like so motivated and they go so hard in their sessions yeah. so I can imagine like you're working with like a very motivated um, population group I could imagine yeah so I guess that's exactly it and I guess the whole factor itself is they are like the epitome of an athlete I if you could define it as in what's the considered the best athlete um mm-hmm. I would say the you know the top guys and also too it's not just that so I'm working from recreational to elite athletes so you kind of see them as they transition to the elite standard so I've had a few guys I've worked with for years and now they're like you know the top athletes in Australia so um but also too that yeah they're highly driven um the different factors of CrossFit because obviously it's different modalities it's not just you know um Olympic lifting which is just solely you know clean and jerk and snatch aspect you've got running you've got all these different modalities that make up CrossFit itself so you kind of have to be good at or you know good at everything not just good at one particular area and I think that's why I like it so much and also too that's just the dedication of them you know whether you're training for like an hour class or up to like you know four to six hours like the top guys do mm, definitely I remember I watched the um there's a, like a little Netflix documentary on um, CrossFitters I'm sure you've seen it yeah I remember watching that and I sort of I kind of knew a little bit about CrossFit but again I thought it was more just like the clean and jerks and the massive more like the power lifts I didn't realize like these guys had like weight vests on and they were running through the desert and I was like what the hell is this yeah. and then so- the next day they were like rowing and doing hand, like walking on their hands doing handstands and I was like it's like gymnastics and like cardio yeah. and sw- <laughs> they were swimming in the desert I was like oh my goodness like you're right it just encompasses everything doesn't it yeah like I um one of my a bit of my professional standards is last year I um, went over to the CrossFit Games with one of the two Australian teams that made it so I was a sports um, dietitian for the whole you know two weeks leading up to the games plus the games itself and you know some of the exercise it was literally like the hunger games that's what it was like I could explain (laughs) it for last year it was a nightmare sometimes like we didn't actually know exactly what they were all going into like some of the workouts released and some of the workouts weren't so you know that I guess that's the whole um, aspect of CrossFit is you've got to be as fit as you can based on whatever's given to you at that point of time so you kind of just like yeah one minute they were literally doing you know max clean jerks and next minute they're running like six k's and like you know battle ropes and heavy weights on top of that plus their you know weight jacket themselves in a team so it's kind of like pretty intensified I guess <laughs> yeah I can imagine that would have been an awesome experience oh it definitely was De- very hard fueling for four top athletes who will have different nutrition requirements um and also too but in saying that you've got everything over in America right <laughs> so the food yeah, exactly. <laughs> over there from a sports nutrition aspect is amazing so yeah I can imagine the catering that's available at like a you know a worldwide CrossFit competition compared to like the catering available at like a local gym or meet would be vastly oh, different see interesting like which I know is going to delve into our um our podcast today but the, the food over there for the games I was actually really disappointed for from a sports dietetics perspective because it was all pretty much oh. more loaf like it was all that keto aspect the food I mean the food was still good quality of don't get me wrong but things like one of the during the um I guess one of the events when we didn't know that they were going to go straight into another um you know, event because we couldn't see the athletes. I was freaking out because I was trying to find them electrolytes because they ran this 6K um, run in the middle of like the of the day over there and it was so bloody hot and they were cramping and I was trying to get them their supplements but couldn't because nothing had was available and I couldn't get to where their bags were, which is where all their nutrition that I provide them was. But because yeah. they weren't allowed to go back to their bags, they all had to stay within this area um, and refuel that way. I couldn't get them what they needed. So it was actually – and then I was trying to run around the venue trying to find like places <laughs> that was like, do you guys sell electrolytes or do you have this or anything like this that I could get? And it was horrible. Like, <laughs> So from a food perspective, they definitely need to lift their game at a particular event like that but it was interesting that's for sure yeah and then leading on from that I'd love for you to just tell our listeners at home just in some simple terms what are the different sort of like nutritional requirements of a CrossFit athlete bearing in mind that a lot of our listeners who might do CrossFit are more like our weekend warriors yeah. versus like high level athletes but I'd love for you to break it down between a little bit of um both sort of if you're just doing it at, for a bit of fun for a bit of exercise versus what would be some of the nutritional requirements from some of your really high level athletes yeah so just break it down a little bit further so you know someone who might 
be listening unless you guys know idea what CrossFit is. It's a basically a sport that's metabolically demanding form of strength and conditioning, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so when we're thinking of it like that, you know, majority of the time, anything that's short, sharp, and high intensity, our body will, um, I guess, benefit from a carbohydrate-based diet because that's what the performance is about. It's about fueling yourself effectively for the workout ahead. Um, so, you know, most of the athletes, whether you are recreational to elite, you're exposed to really high demanding cardiovascular-based exercises, right? So, so it's placing even more stress on the body um, and particularly how your body will then use carbs. So what I mean by that is because those intensities are so high, our body needs carbohydrates to fuel that training session. And that's when from an athletic performance perspective that carbohydrates are the most suitable aspect for um, CrossFit athletes, like I said, from recreational to elite, because you want to get into that habit of fueling yourself effectively, regardless of your standard of your ability. Um, and that's where a lot of people go wrong because most of the time they all come into those sessions, um, you know, like low fuel, like not enough carbohydrates and that type of thing. And that's even seen at the elite levels, which is really sad. So um, I think first and foremost, like I said, carbohydrates are definitely um, what's needed. Currently at the moment, though, there's no particular evidence for CrossFit itself. You know how we have a lot of evidence for sports and um, I guess sports nutrition guidelines for specific areas. Mm-hmm. CrossFit itself hasn't necessarily got a lot of evidence. So it is still within roughly, you know, that four to seven grams per kilogram per day of carbohydrates that athletes should be consuming. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I say athletes, again, recreational to elite. So obviously the higher end of those requirements are more made for the intermediate guys, as you can see, because the more training you do, guys, the more fuel you need. And particularly within this sport, our fuel is going to be coming from those carbohydrates, if that makes sense. Um, so that's one of the factors. And also to um, just like any individual who's training strength and conditioning, we need to make sure our protein requirements are there. So protein is really important, um, you know, for building lean muscle mass um, and assisting with the recovery, but particularly too for making sure that we're having enough of, um, I guess, the um, amino acids from those proteins to support that lean muscle mass development, which we're trying to achieve within any strength and conditioning um, program, but particularly with CrossFit itself. Mm. And when you say like enough of those amino acids, I'm assuming that you're meaning like a lot of athletes are, there's a big push towards like more vegan and plant-based options. You're meaning that we're making sure that we're getting a mix of those like good quality protein sources as well and getting the mix of the amino acids we need, particularly something like leucine to be able to stimulate the muscle protein synthesis and actually help us repair, grow, recover, that sort of thing. Yeah, that is correct. So particularly um, within the sports um, perspective of strength and conditioning, leucine is an branch chain amino acid that is responsible for muscle protein synthesis. So big fancy word, guys, for you know, giving you ability to put on this, um, muscle as much as you can within a within a time frame. So all of that is going to be more beneficial from coming from our diet, um, as as we know. And we want to make sure we have a combination of all foods because you know there's not one single food group in the entire world that will provide us with all our requirements. Um, but leucine within strength and conditioning is something that has been, um, you know, heavily researched um, and it's something that is really, really important with strength and conditioning athletes. Mm, definitely. And I guess it's really interesting that you mentioned there's actually no like set guidelines for CrossFit, obviously being a newer sort of sport. What are you talking sort of like around the 10 year mark? Um, so are most of the guidelines that you're using for your athletes based on a mix of sort of like strength, but also high intensity activity? Yes. Yeah. And the resistance training that's then mostly associated still with the evidence with strength conditioning athletes that are there now. So, um, you know, the track and field and all those type of aspects too. Um, because like you said, unfortunately, there's a newer sport. Um, but it is one that's like the most taxing in terms of on um, our, our, our demands of our body, for example. Mm. And I'd love to chat about, um, you mentioned a lot of people will go into a session, whether it's CrossFit, whether it's just a strength and conditioning session, whether it's just a maybe like a 10K run or something like that, with low amounts of carbohydrate or a trend I see lately with all the intermittent fasting is chatting about going into like their exercise session completely fasted or without any carbs on board. So why is it important to have some carbohydrate on board if you're going into a session that is something like an intense session like CrossFit or a high intensity session or even something simple like F45, for example, which sort of has extra demands on the body because there is that element of um, high intensity within that exercise. Yeah, so I think the biggest problem, particularly with intermittent fasting, um, is people are utilizing it for a weight loss perspective, but mm. then we're in a sport that's based on performance, right? So people are getting their goals and their outcomes mixed up. So we know with uh, intermittent fasting, there is like, you know, minimal evidence to support that it's more effective than, um, 
a weight loss diet itself that has relatively high amounts of carbohydrates. You know, it comes down to the calorie deficit that we see. The problem, though, when it comes to strength and conditioning athletes um, and coming into a session fasted is it may compromise strength and hypertrophy, which is basically those goals that you're trying to get from that session. Yet, um, the fasting does not alter any muscle mass. So if you need to, you know, um, it's not going to be beneficial for, you know, an athlete who is, you know, focusing on feeling themselves effectively if they're trying to get, you know, more, I guess, gains within the gym because ultimately our main fuel source for those carbohydrates uh, within CrossFit scene is carbohydrates. So the way I like to explain to people is like, imagine you get a full tank of petrol if you're feeling yourself effectively. So that petrol is our carbohydrate. So over the course of the day, depending on what type of training we're doing and, you know, our daily activities, that will diminish and come back down. So imagine you're coming into a session faster. So that basically means that your petrol, ta- petrol tank is already empty. Mm-hmm. And then you're trying to facilitate a session that promotes gains and lean muscle mass, but you've got minimal fuel. So those two just are counterproductive regardless, if that makes sense. Um, so, you know, the importance of it comes down to, you know, we need to fuel yourself effectively for that, you know, coming into that training session a little bit fed. So what I mean by that is a little bit of carbohydrates means you're going to be able to facilitate that training adaptation that you actually want with that training adaptation being getting fitter, faster, stronger. Mm, exactly. So, and I think so many people get stuck in that. I'm going to go into session faster because it'll put me in a fat burning state. But again, it's like, what is your goal out of that session? Is it purely to just do some exercise to, you know, increase your calorie output or is it to actually maintain your muscle mass or put on a little bit of lean muscle mass and actually sort of improve your metabolism long-term by doing some resistance training because a lot of people are trying to mix the two goals into one, like do the session fasted, but actually put on a little bit of muscle mass as well. And as you said, they're two completely opposite things, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. And getting people to understand that fat burning and then obviously losing body fat are two totally different things. So obviously, you know, um, particularly I think we'll get into a little bit, but the keto keto diet a lot of people are going about then they usually couple that with the fasting aspect the only way that you're going to lose fat remember is by being a calorie deficit doesn't matter what diet you're necessarily adhering to but as long as that is eliciting um, a calorie deficit then you'll lose body fat as per se mm. and then obviously keeping on with that keto theme it's it's a big thing, particularly within the CrossFit world. I know that there are many people online who still to this day, despite we know the evidence is is pro-carbohydrates for high intensity and strength sports, there's still a big um, sort of keto thing going on within that world. Why is that? Or like, what's the reason for that within the CrossFit space? Why do so many athletes think that being keto and, you know, you hear people say, oh, you can utilize fat as carbs, but the way I see it is like, that's harder to do. So why would you, under a stressful condition, try to make your body work even harder to grab that fuel source? Is that sort of the way you think about it as well? Yeah. And I always say to people that you know, keto diets are not superior with weight loss diets with higher carbohydrates. So the whole reason within this, from an anecdotal perspective that a lot of people do this is because they see that rapid change in weight loss quite quite quickly because as a result, they've dropped a lot of their carbohydrates. So for people who aren't aware of what carbs um, and the makeup of them, for every gram of carb that we hold, it will naturally hold three to four grams of water with it. So when someone is doing a keto diet, they're like, oh, look, I've dropped three to four kilos of weight in the first you know, one to two weeks. This is amazing. I feel I feel great. And I always just say to people, if it was that easy to lose <laughs> fat, <laughs> we wouldn't have a problem with obesity or anything like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem is a lot of people don't understand is because they've cut those carbohydrates, with that becomes reduced glycogen, which is carbohydrates stored in the muscle, as well as the water that we lose with it. Um, so, and as a result, because people think that's fat loss, they think that a high fat diet means that they're essentially burning more fat because of the, the fluctuations that they see quite quickly on the scales. But in a high fat diet, you, yes, you oxidize basically more fat. So what I mean is you, you you burn more fat because you're basically eating more of it, right? So you're giving your body the main source of um, fuel is that is your is your fat perspective. But the body is using what you're basically giving it. So that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to lose more fat though. It's just dependent on whether you're in that calorie deficit. So, you know, it is unfortunate that it tends to be more associated with aesthetics because, you know, a lot of CrossFit athletes will see that natural shift in their weight quite quickly. Um, but from a performance perspective, again, if your goal is performance, but you're doing a keto or, or intermittent fasting style um, aspect, it's not done in a very effective and safe way, then you kind of, I guess, counterproductive to what we're trying to achieve. Not only that, as you mentioned just before too, it can dampen your training effects. You know, as I explained at the start, CrossFit is a very demanding and metabolically demanding sport. Most of the time, you know, an average your heart rate's around that 90% um, mm. of your heart rate max and aerobic int- um, intensity is around about 85% of your VO2. So for anyone who doesn't really understand what that means, you're working quite hard Mm -hmm. whether that's for a short period of time medium 
medium timeframe or long timeframe dependent on the workout. So my question back to the listeners is why would you then do a diet or, you know, something that I guess goes against that when we know that your body is going to be thriving off carbohydrates to get you through that workout, yet you're not providing any of it to to your body to work with? Mm. And as you mentioned, um, with keto, like a lot of it can be done for like the aesthetic. So because you look better, because as you mentioned, for every gram of um, carbohydrate you eat, your body stores a couple of grams of, of water on board. So you're going to look a little bit more like fluidy or like a little yeah. bit more almost like bloated. But again, that's just a nat- your body's natural response to eating carbohydrates. And just because you get rid of the carbs and you're going to look a little bit leaner, you're going to see some of those muscles and veins popping through a little bit more. You're actually serving no great purpose within your body in terms of fuel and performance. Versus you might look a little bit better, but I mean, if that, if you're an Instagram model, that might be your end goal at the end of the day. But for so many people, the goal is performance. Um, So I think keeping that in mind as well is really important, isn't it? And, I, and, and too, and I think too, like you, yourself and you'll be able to touch on this too, um, is that a lot of the times when people try and reintroduce carbohydrates back in their diet from doing a low-carb um, aspect or keto, they do ex- they experience that, you know, rapid weight or regain back on the, um, on the scales. And obviously, it's just that water shift that we see with our carbs holding fluid. And also, I want to point out too, is that you, and you probably be able to um, discuss this as well, is that when we reintroduce carbohydrates back into our diet and we've been eating it for a minimal time period, your intestines won't respond as effectively as someone who has been consuming carbs quite regularly because naturally you've downregulated your intestinal transmitter transporter sorry so basically think of that guy as um you know that you because you haven't been utilizing them your body's not going to produce that right so this is a big problem particularly with recreational to elite athletes whenever they you know compete um cross it is that is um in competition days whether that's you know just for fun or you're doing it for elite standards and all of a sudden you try and increase your carbohydrates because everyone then seems to think carbs are really important when it comes to competing um, but not any other time of the days um but so as a result they get gut issues because Mm -hmm. your body can't absorb the amount of carbohydrates you've given it because it's it's not used to that because the amount of foods that you've been doing is you've been pulling away from those carbohydrates if that makes sense Mm, definitely. And just the type of carbohydrates that I would imagine that an athlete might consume during a game day or an intense competition would be a lot of like gels and Gatorade and that sort of thing where there's really high fructose contents as well, which again, take a little bit longer to sort of like clear and, and turn into energy and that sort of thing as well. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, which is true. Yeah. Awesome. So definitely not keto carbs are, <laughs> carbs are our friend, but again, yeah. as, as always, there's a, there's a limit to things. And if you're just going to go smash creamy bowls of pasta all day long, you're obviously again, going to sort of impact some of your, um, performance and, and benefits of your exercise session. So the, the amount and the type of carbohydrate is also very important as well, isn't it? Yeah, that's, that's correct. Yeah. Now your thoughts on intermittent fasting for things like CrossFit and more harder style sessions. I know I've heard you on a podcast before and you're not a fan of it because as we mentioned, going into a, a training session fasted is sort of like counterproductive. Like you're just not going to, you're not going to get the benefits out of that session that you want or actually be able to progress or make many gains as well. So why does, why is intermittent fasting not great from an athletic perspective? I mean, a lot of the research is done on very obese individuals um, that show, you know, intermittent fasting is great as a weight loss diet, but it doesn't really take in consideration um, exercise, like high intensity sort of exercise, does it? No. So, and, and you're, you're particularly um, definitely correct with that. When it comes to CrossFit too, I always say to people, you know, there's, there's negative effects when it comes to that, you know, it's not only just, uh, you know, your increased risk of, um, you know, not putting on as much muscle, but also to you going for increased periods of hunger and fatigue and irritability when you are fasting, depending on how you choose to fast. Right. Um, so, if you're already hungry, you're already exhausted, and then you're getting up first thing in the morning, particularly where this is what a lot of people tend to do is they wake up first thing in the morning and they train. Whereas intermittent fasting sometimes can work if you're working with a, um, you know, a dietitian or someone who specializes in that area, so they can make sure that you know you're within that window of where you're eating. We can make sure you have some carbohydrates present. But most of the time, what you see is people will fast. They'll get up in the morning and then they'll train their session um, with not, nothing to fuel themselves. Now that, as I said, becomes a negative issue, particularly if your goal is to be able to um, put on some lean muscle mass or um, some gains as per se because it's kind of counterproductive. Not only that is that it leads to an increased risk of um, relationship with foods and normality. So, you know, I'm very skeptical on even suggesting that, particularly with female athletes because most of the time they're doing those fasts to lose weight, um, but yet they end up having a binging issue or they have a disordered eating relationship with food based on the fact of how they've then set it up. And I always turn around and say to them, so is this sustainable for what you're trying to achieve? Not even from a performance 
performance perspective, but what you're currently doing with your relationship with food is now questionable as to whether that's going to be sustainable at all because you've done more damage than what we actually started with, if that makes sense. Mm. And fasting for some people is just added stress. And again, if you think about a lot of people will get up at the crack of dawn, like I'm not a morning person at all, but I have a lot of people messaging me being like, oh my God, I'm so tired all the time. And no matter what I do, I can't lose weight. I'm like, well, you know, this is obviously if they're a client of mine or something. I'm like, well, what are you doing? They're like, I get up at 4.30 a.m. I hit the gym at five. I'm like, are you eating anything? No, doing complete fasted. Then I keep trying to fast and I'll have my, my lunch at like 12 o'clock. So I'm like, you're trying to perform and get some benefits and actually be your best self completely fasted that whole morning. You're adding an additional stress of getting up at the crack of dawn and then thinking that you're actually going to perform well and get some benefits. So I think a lot of people just don't really see intermittent fasting as a negative thing as well like for some people it could work really well and for others there's really things to think about as well and particularly with post-workout nutrition fueling as well we definitely don't want to then go do a workout and then fast again for another couple of hours after the workout finishes do we yeah and that's what people see you know the body's very smart so if you're not providing your body with the carbohydrates that requires to fuel that session within crossfit which is because it is above that you know 75 percent of your maximal heart rate it will use other areas so you know to make it like a very simplified example is that if you've you know minimal carbohydrates left um, or um, stored what your body will then do is break down protein which is not ideal because the whole purpose of your training is to be able to put on some lean muscle mass but it'll basically turn protein into carbs through a big fancy you know process called gluconeogenesis you don't really need to worry about that but basically Mm -hmm. what i'm saying is that you know your body will find other fuel sources to be able to do what you're trying to do but again it's not the most effective nor conducive way to achieve your goal which nine times out of ten when you're doing any of those strength and conditioning aspects is performance-based. Definitely. I always say to people, they're like, I've been training for like a year now, but I haven't made any progress. I haven't made any gains or my body looks exactly the same. And I'm like, are <laughs> yeah. you fueling for your session or are you just trying to eat as low calorie as you possibly can to actually get some of that fat loss off? And I think that's what so many people get confused about is like performance and lean muscle mass gain is very different to just trying to lose weight. Like fat loss is very different to weight loss as we've talked about before in the podcast. Yeah, which is correct. I think it's, you know, if it was all that easy, we'd all be doing it. That's what I say to people. So, and as you know, our body adapts to many things. So you've got to make sure everything you do is always individualized and working best for yourself opposed to what every single other person's doing. Mm, Definitely. Now, how do you feel about um, things like carb cycling or like, um, calorie cycling for rest days versus training days. I'm very much someone who recommends my clients sort of eat very similar day to day. I'm not someone who yeah. recommends like, you know, tracking your macros and counting your calories every day, maybe for some of those elite level athletes. But are you a fan of things like carb cycling or reducing calories on rest days? I just find that it gets a little bit too confusing for the lay population anyway. Yeah. And I, I am in agreement with that, but then it also does come down to the individual and it's a case by case. So usually when I top intermediate to top guys, um, I don't recommend this as the extra calorie service purpose on a non-training day to assist in recovery and all that type of thing and making sure that the next day that they're coming into that session well fueled if that makes sense mm-hmm. um, and to also reduce the risk of low energy availability particularly with females um, which I know you've had other um, you know other speakers on this podcast before about but you know what a lot of people see is when they say carb cycling, again, it's everyone's obsessed with carbs, right? In terms of a negative <laughs> way, they just want to get rid of them. So carb cycling for a lot of those individuals who don't know what that means is people go on and on about it because they think it's the bee's knees when basically all it is is the individuals just using their carbs, getting rid of them to create that calorie deficit that they're chasing. Um, mm. So it's nothing fancy. It's just basically creating that deficit on an average over a period of time. I don't particularly like it because um, I feel it can be, create more compensatory behaviors for a lot of people um, in which it can then provide an unhealthy relationship with food um, but they can serve its time and place depending on the individual right when it, the more um, I guess serious you become with your training it doesn't mean you have to be an elite athlete by any by any means but the more serious you become I tend to steer away from that mm. and I like a concept that um one of our guests we've had on the podcast before, Ange, the sports dietitian, who you and I both know quite well, she recommends um, just having training nutrition on your training days. And I really like yeah. that because then you associate your training with needing a little bit of extra fuel on board. And then if you're not training, you just pull it out. You don't have to do yeah. anything fancy, like dramatically reduce your calories day to day or anything like that, just because you're not training. Like I think people forget how extra little fuel like just normal people need like okay if you're a a crossfit athlete you're going to need a a ton more fuel than the normal person but if you're just someone who goes to f45 a couple of days a week or does a couple of crossfit training sessions you really don't need that much additional fuel so using something simple like a little bit of pre and post workout nutrition it might just be a banana and a greek yogurt or something like that and then simply dropping that out on a rest day um can be a little bit more um i guess helpful in terms of relationships with food and that sort of thing can't it rather than doing these crazy carbs 
cyclings and tracking and counting calories and that sort of thing. Yeah, for example, I'm exactly like that. When I say carb cycling, again, I would, from my perspective, I would only really remove your your pre and intra training nutrition, and that's it. Because not only you're you doing setting yourself up for um, sustainability, but you're also creating good habits. So you'll, like you said before, you'll know that oh yeah, so my training is I need this. When I'm not training, I don't need this. So it makes nutrition less complicated. Which at the end of the day, that's all we should really be focusing on things that are sustainable for yourself, regardless of whether they're recreational or elite. Yeah, definitely. And you touched on a good point: is intra training nutrition. Can you tell our listeners at home just really quick? when would you need a little bit of a top up of your fuel source in terms of like, um, is it just like you're going and you're doing an upper body session at the gym, which is about 45 to 60 minutes long versus if you're doing, you're preparing for a CrossFit comp and you've got three hours in the gym, when would somebody require a little bit of a boost in terms of intertraining nutrition yeah so again you know how to explain at the start of the or middle of the podcast about the whole fuel and tank perspective so mm-hmm. the longer you train in terms of crossfit the easy or the easier that um, fuel source can be can diminish if that makes sense so when it comes to intra-training sessions I, and, and you're maintaining that heart rate around that 75% and above, most of the time you will, you'll need something if it's over an hour to 90 minutes from a CrossFit perspective. So mm-hmm. um, anything shorter than that, you won't need it because just like anything, right, if you overfuel yourself, what is that? extra calories what are those extra calories going to do eventually if it's consistent that's where weight gain can occur so for the general pop you're just roughly doing an hour's worth of training you don't need it it's when you start to kick into roughly one to two hours onwards that you'll do need that intra training to top up that fuel tank so we're going back up to you know you might have gone down to half a tank of petrol by having something intra you're going to go back up to a full tank or if not close so then the rest of your session can still be given the um, intensity that you require to initiate those training adaptations if that makes sense a big fan where the more fuel you guys can give yourself for the duration of training, the better outcomes you're going to have from a training perspective. Mm, and I think you mentioned something really important, which is the intensity of exercise. Because my partner, yeah. he's amazing, but he, you know, he used to spend like two hours in the gym and he's like, oh, you know, like, do I need to be sipping on some like BCAs or protein or something? Yeah. And I'm like, no, because you, between sets, you're scrolling through Facebook. Like you're not actually yeah. actively getting really high intensity the whole two hours you're in the gym. And if you really wanted to, you could shorten your session to an hour. And since yeah. COVID's come in and there's been restrictions and timing in the gym, he's managed to get his sessions out in an hour. So I think it really does depend on, yes, you might be in the gym for two or three hours but are you intensely you know working out that entire time versus if you're you know a bro trying to get some gains in the gym are you taking some really big sort of like five minute rest breaks between each set where you're actually not really doing very much you're just sort of sitting there and and waiting around yeah and I think to a lot of people where they go wrong is this they'll either be you know they focus way too much on that sort of stuff. Like it's the icing on the cake, right? Yet their cake batter is horrible. So I'm like, you guys are so fixated on your pre, intra and your during, like, you know, I mean, pre, intra and post, but the rest of your day is really crappy. Do you know what I mean? So at the yeah. end, you've got to get more benefit from looking at the rest of your day and then maybe focusing on the icing on the cake once you get everything else sorted. But again, it's not until you get into that intermediate, um, you know, type of training where you are seeing those two hours of relatively minimal break uh, or one to two hours of minimal break that you need to start thinking about intra training session to to fuel yourself appropriately. Mm, and that's not just for CrossFit style athletes. Like yeah, I've got yeah. friends who run marathons, you know, and that's exactly oh, yeah. the same. Like I've got a friend who, one of my old housemates, Kat, she used to go for like a, a 20K run on a Sunday, like for kicks. Uh, don't ask me why. Yeah. I'm, I'm not a runner. <laughs> I, I wouldn't see that as enjoyable, but she would do that and, and she would come home and exhausted and she'd nap for a few hours and she'd be so exhausted that she couldn't even eat anything when she got home. And yeah. I got her into gels and she was just having some gels and she'd, she'd actually run with a drink bottle and she was just saying she could come back and actually feel so good about finishing that session rather than than having to go for a two-hour nap because she was that shattered. And then we got her blending up a smoothie because she just didn't have an appetite to get some quick nutrition down after her really long Sunday runs. And she just recovered and fueled so much better just by doing those like simple tweaks. So it's not just strength or CrossFit, is it? It is any sort of intense exercise that is going on for sort of longer than that 60, 90-minute period. And that's where it becomes really important because exactly like what you just said, your friend would come home and nap for three hours. So the longer you train and the more you train, the problem is that you have a risk of becoming – less um, well-fueled and you're not, um, I guess, actively recoveringly, recovering effectively. And that becomes a problem when you're looking at a whole week's worth of training. So mm. if you're coming back and you're napping for three hours, there's a lot of nutrition that you've missed there. And then, you know, you're wondering why the next couple of days in the training is really horrible is because, well, you know, you know, sports nutrition is really, really complex 
but it can be really quite simple if it's done effectively mm. um, and making sure you're fueling yourself. So that's why the problem we see with a lot of athletes is they underfuel because they underestimate how much calories they're actually burning. And then they're not, you know, coming in with a post-training um, nutrition to support the exercise that they've just done. Definitely. And that's so important for high level athletes. And on the flip side, I see it all yeah. the time with just people who just go and, you know, do their normal hour session, they're overfueling. Like they're, they're thinking they're burning yeah. a lot more calories than they actually <laughs> are in that workout. So definitely you, you see it on either end of the spectrum, don't you? The, yeah. And you just got to make sure you pick a happy medium, right? Yeah, so exactly. you, and, get, and get people to understand it's more than just worrying about carbs. You know, there's a lot of other things you've got to take into account to make sure you're fueling yourself effectively for the workout ahead is what I always like to say to people. Definitely. And that's why people such as sports dietitians like yourself, like Angie, that sort of thing are so important. Even if it's just like a couple of appointments, like that will set you up for good habits for the rest of your life. There are so many things that sports dietitians can do, even just the tiniest tweaks. Like if you're getting through your sessions and you're absolutely exhausted and shattered by the end of it, like you're not doing something right. Like, you know what I mean? And even some people are just over-exercising entirely. Like I, I started a new client um, just in the last couple of weeks and she was doing like, you know, eight to 10 sessions a week. And I said to her, why? Like, what, what's the point of that? You're not really going to, you're over-exercising um, and actually you're not going to get any further benefit from that. She wasn't an athlete. She was, she didn't have a performance goal or anything like that. She just really enjoyed exercise and wanted to get her body fat percentage down. And I was like, if we just reduce the amount of training, we're going to reduce the amount of stress on your body. You're not going to feel the need to keep binging and overeating. And long-term, yeah. you're going to have a lot less stress within your body and within your life so it's going to be more conducive for fat loss as well and that's what I always say to people I was like why work harder when you can work smarter right it's just about making fine like tweaks of things and not overshooting yourself too hard because then that's going to bite you in the butt and we, mm. we see it all the time mm-hmm. you know like you said you don't have to be an athlete by any means you can there's more problems with recreational individuals like you and I training and we have problems with our nutrition in terms of you know um you know not consuming enough that that becomes then detrimental and you see it like you said you see it every single day exactly yeah and then quickly um you mentioned um when you were men- talking before about about like timing of nutrients, like that's super important. Let's quickly touch on protein because again, that seems to be like the elixir of sports nutrition. Everyone's talking about protein yeah. is like the one thing that matters. Everyone's obsessed with proteins and carbs and that sort of thing. But I feel like we just forget about like food in general. Like we don't have to take protein powders. We don't need to be munching on protein bars all day long. We don't have to have these ridiculously high levels of protein intakes, but it is important to get enough and regularly throughout the day, isn't it? Like timing protein wise is really important. Yeah. I think where a lot of people go wrong, it, like, or they don't really take into consideration, it's that the it's more important to focus on the total protein requirements that you need for the day. So, and making sure you're evenly distributing them across the day, for example, in four to five meals. The reason why is because it, it's going to give you that a branch chain amino acid that we spoke about at the start, which is roughly, um, which is leucine, sorry, of two to three grams. Um, and, you know, he's the guy, he's a big dog for putting on muscle or stimulating muscle protein synthesis, big fancy word for putting on some muscle. So if you said to me, Tay, what's two to three grams of leucine? What does that look like? It's roughly between, you know, 20 to 40 grams of actual protein so we're looking at you know a piece of steak looking at some chicken um, we're looking at some milk we're looking at three eggs when you start going into plant-based options you have to eat a lot more to get that obviously because plant-based mm-hmm. proteins aren't as um you know as highly well aren't as high in protein particularly leucine is what animal based are um and also too in saying that you want to make sure that your post training is consumed roughly in 60 to 90 minutes as well so the high quality proteins most of the time people when we're looking at things like you said they were worried about the protein bars the protein shakes and everything that you know the most of the time people are missing the trees for the forest if that makes sense so um it's it's also making sure that most of the time you know you're evenly distributing that you know so when you're having breakfast you're having some sort of protein your morning tea um you know lunch afternoon tea dinner and then obviously depending on where your training falls that can usually fall you may need a post-training nutrition um or you could just go straight into your next main meal so it's not as difficult or as complicated as everyone makes it out to be um but we still also need to make sure that you know you're still aiming for around 20 to 40 grams per meal um and if you said to me tay what's a range that you work with with your strength athletes it's anywhere between 1.6 to 2.2 to 2.5 grams per kilogram per day as a as an example 
Mm. And just touching again on like vegan-based athletes, plant-based athletes, we'd go the higher end for them because obviously yeah. the plant-based sources of protein aren't as easily absorbed and, and utilized by the body. So we definitely want those higher amounts because they're not as good quality protein sources as what um, some of our like animal product-based protein sources are. Yeah. And nine times out of 10 when it comes to vegan proteins too, we do need to combine them because they don't provide us with uh, the complete amino acids. So that's why you'll see uh, combinations of uh, vegan proteins being suggested most of the time. It's very rare to find a, a high-level um, vegan-based athlete who's not on a protein powder, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, very, very much so. And they have to eat so much food. Yeah, <laughs> which is absolutely okay. But again, that's where professionals yeah. such as sports dietitians really do come into play. Um, because if, you, if you're burning that many calories, you have that high requirement. You just can't eat that volume of food because the more you train and the harder you train, the more your appetite is diminished um, in the majority of time. So finding simple ways to get in um, some of that quick nutrition um, can be very helpful if you're working one-on-one with a sports dietitian. That's it, yeah. Now we've chatted about carbs, we've chatted about protein. We may as well throw fat into the mix as well. Um, I know fat from a female-based perspective is so important for like hormones, hair, skin and nails, cellular metabolism, all that sort of thing. Um, why is it a problem when females or males as well cut their fat intakes too low? Because I know like years ago we went through the whole low-fat era and people started chugging down carbs and then, you know, we ended up with an obesity problem worldwide and now we've come full circle again and everyone's like fat is good, fat is back. Um, what are your thoughts on in terms of like fat within the diet and how much sort of um, your athletes will need and that sort of thing? Yeah. So as you mentioned at the start just then that, so, you know, fat is really important um, as it provides us with energy, a fat soluble vitamin is really important for hormone health and essential fatty acids. When it comes to how much to require, we don't need significant amounts of it in our diet. You're still sticking to around that one gram per kilogram um, of your weight or roughly 15 to 25% of your total um, cows is fine anyway. Any more than this, it won't yield, um, I guess, any more benefit, particularly for cross um, crossfit athletes, because you know fat is fat at the end of the day. It doesn't provide us with as much advantageous as um, uh, not as much advantage, sorry, as you know your proteins and your carbohydrates. So yes, they do serve their purpose, but again, we don't need as much. And particularly when you have a high fat diet, you, with with a, a sport such as crossfit, um, it's it's takes forever to digest, right? So you're sitting, mm-hmm. you're sitting in your tummy, you're doing lots of like, you know, gymnastic based movements or different planes of movements. And if that's predominantly what you have in your diet you're going to have a lot of gut issues and you do see it you see a lot of athletes recreational to elite um on on a high fat diet or keto style and they complain a lot about gastrointestinal problems so you know that's Mm. something that we've also got to take into account because you want to make sure that whatever food you're giving yourself is going to be good for your performance but also it's going to fuel yourself effectively for what you're trying to do as well with no um i guess issues because that's going to be i guess steering you away from what you're trying to achieve so um yeah and like i said you've had it's it serves its purpose but i wouldn't necessarily drop any lower particularly for females and hormone health um, and we see that quite regularly because that can i guess put additional stress on the body um particularly for uh you know menstruation reasons and all those types of things um but nothing more than one gram per kilogram is fine or like i said that 15 to 25 percent of your total cows mm, and i think i'm sure i've read some research off the top of my head absolute minimum in terms of like fat would be about 0.8 um 0.8 per kilo wouldn't it yeah so 0.8 to 1 at an absolute minimum yeah yeah you probably want to aim as you said more closer to that one gram just in terms of like um hormones and that sort of thing yeah and like so for example you know that's it's still a decent amount don't get me wrong but Mm. a lot of people and it's something that can be over consumed but can definitely something that a lot of people cut straight away which is you know like we said the the detrimental effects of that could be quite significant Mm, because fat is such an energy dense macronutrient gram for gram it's got more than double the calories that protein and carbs offer so i find it's a quick macronutrient that people just slice out. They're either love keto and all high fat, or they're the complete opposite. And they're like, oh, fat is bad. It's the easiest way to cut my calories down. I'll just cut all the fat out of my diet. So again, it definitely does serve our purpose um, for athletes, but also for um, just normal, regular human beings as well. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> now, quickly touching on supplements, we've talked extensively about protein powders and that sort of thing on the podcast, but any supplements that you tend to use, um, I guess, more regularly for your CrossFit style athletes or even just like our weekend warriors and people who exercise quite a lot, anything more than just a standard protein powder? Do you find that there's any research or evidence for? So with strength conditioning athletes, um, there is evidence around creatine monohydrate and beta alanine. So creatine is probably the one that's most effective and so- safe supplements available, particularly mm-hmm. for anyone who's going to get tested 
which can be quite significant within the strength and conditioning, particularly within CrossFit. So for those of you who don't understand what creatine is, it's basically stored in our body as creatine, um, phosphocreatine, which provides us the energy to recycle and restock ATP. So ATP is, our, um, I guess, our engine uh, um, currency for our body to be able to do in, um intense exercise if that makes sense so in other words think of it as um the energy for short sharp intensity bursts of exercise so the body relies on that during high intensity sessions however it can be easily um i guess uh, what would you say diminished quite significantly with crossfit um or anything that's basically that short sharp um, exercise so it's not just crossfit it'll be weightlifting powerlifting all those types of things so when you supplement with creatine um means that the stores are increased and you're uh, within the muscles, usually around 10 to 40% greater, which allows the body to work at higher intensities for a longer duration of time. So um, it's the most effective, um, I guess, source of it is creatine monohydrate, um, very inexpensive um, form of creatine. And you only need roughly three to five grams of creatine per day. That's it. It's um, it's adequate. The timing of when you consume it, because a lot of people are like, oh, should we be having in and around training? When should we be having it? It's irrelevant as the benefits accumulate over time rather than acutely, if that makes sense. So it was previously suggested for anyone who knows a little bit about creatine on the podcast that loading phases were required. Um, but the evidence for this has shifted towards the, um, you know, the daily three to five is, is more um, efficient at achieve, achieving that. Mm. And then correct me if I'm wrong as well, if you were to start doing something like adding creatine into your diet, obviously creatine, how it's stored is more with the glycogen stores yeah. as well. So you might see a little bit of a, you know, uprise on the scale if you're someone who's who's weighing themselves um, regularly as well. But again, that's more just your body holding a little bit more water weight. It's not actually true fat gain. So don't be concerned if you start using creatine regularly and seeing the scale go up a little bit. Yeah, and that's true. It basically, you know, draws water into the cells. So a lot of females will tend to freak out a little bit with that. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, I'm not just, you know, um, gender biased there, but um, it does happen. But that will level out basically when homeostasis kicks in. Um, and it is brilliant. So if it's strength conditioning, it's definitely something you should always be on. It doesn't matter if you're recreational or elite. Um, and I, I use it every day and I love it. Um but it's mostly going to be beneficial with females or obviously vegans because we don't mm-hmm. really have a diet or well, vegans definitely don't have a diet high in creatine because you can obtain it through your diet. Um, but the supplementation from the strength perspective is, is brilliant. So if you're not eating a lot of animal-based products and your goal is muscle gain, it is probably a good thing to chat to your sports dietitian about. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And then you also mentioned um, beta adeline Adeline, oh, I can never say that word. Adeline as well. Yeah. Do you want to tell our listeners a little bit more about that one as well? Yeah. So again, it's within foods, like particularly fish um, and chicken, and it's essential for our body to produce. Um, but so it basically acts like a buffer to acid byproducts. So when you basically re- like get that lactic acid effect, it's it's what um, which is a build up of lactic acid itself from too much hydrogens. But what beta alanine does pretty much comes in and tries to act as a buffer, just try and clear that out if it makes sense. So mm-hmm. um, as as uh, you know, the byproduct of a lactic acid is hydrogen. So it increases the acidity within the muscle, um, if that's the easy way of putting it, and therefore um, reduces the muscle's pH without being too complicated there. Um, so as a result, that um, results in, in fatigue and imp- uh, impaired performance because obviously with CrossFit, if anyone's done airdyne sprint or you've just dumped on a bike and you tried to do a sprint, you can't keep that up. Um, so basically it acts to buffer it and neutralize these hydrogen ions um, to help regulate and rebalance the muscle acidity. So improves resistance to um, fatigue athletes and potentially results in increased performance which is fabulous within the crossfit scene where it is that short sharp intense exercise um which is which is good and again with that one or anything any supplement that you do recommend you know you want to make sure it is um approved so from a drug testing perspective Mm -hmm. um that you it's gone through third party um testing so it's informed sport or has to uh, provide it as well Mm. and if people are importing supplements from overseas it's water isn't it that's sort of the the logo that you really look for yeah And then lastly, Taylor, I'd love to get your thoughts around um, measuring body composition. So obviously I work with a lot of clients who um, want body composition goals Um, and, you know, but then females, again, trying to obviously pinpointing agenda, but females have a sort of more of an addiction to the scale. They they see progress as related to the scale. And I try to get my clients away from that and seeing, you know, body composition progress isn't always going to be reflected on the scale. You can't see a fat mass drop and then jump on the scale after five days and actually relate that to actual fat mass drop. So what are your um, preferences when it comes to measuring body compositions? Obviously, we'd love for everybody to be able to get a DEXA every couple of weeks, but that's just not realistic um, or affordable. Yeah. Um, 
so I guess it comes to get down to case by case. Like you said, majority of the time, it depends on the individual. So if you're dealing with weight, making weight athletes, there's a time and a place for that. Um, and also to how someone's relationship with food, et cetera, et cetera. I'm very much on the same bandwagon as yourself. I don't particularly like scales, particularly with females with the fluctuation of the menstrual cycle. And so many people just don't understand how that, um, you know, affects your weight. Um, but also to most of the time when it comes with athletes who I work with, I use, you know, skin folds based on Isaac qualification to yield, you know, specific changes in body fats, DEXs when they're needed, like you said. Um, and most of the time though, for every indiv- individual is either, you know, how you generally feel. We can go by girth measurements as well. They're also very good. Um, but clothing and just, um, you know, photos are also a good example for a lot of people too, because, you know, you can get a before and after, um, uh, without having to worry about anything when it comes to, um, you know, scales, particularly, um, as we know, with strength conditioning athletes, you know, uh, we actually sometimes tend to see an increase on the scales because of the fact that we're putting on more muscle, um, you know, and that becomes a problem if you're only, you know, using a scale to justify the reasoning as to why that weight's gone up. Exactly. And I think it's important to remember as well, so many people are trying to achieve fat loss and muscle gain at the same time. And um, we had a great podcast with Alan Aragon a couple of episodes ago when he was talking about those newbie gains. If you're somebody who hasn't done a lot of resistance training and you're very new to that, then you're somebody that can probably actively drop some body fat percentage if you've got the body fat to lose, plus actively put on a little bit of muscle at the same time. But for the majority of people who I guess follow me and who message me and that sort of thing, they're within the healthy body, you know, the healthy weight range already, they're just really chasing those body composition goals. So it is smarter for so many people who have a little bit of training behind them to either focus on dropping body fat percentage or trying to make some strength and lean muscle mass gains, isn't it? Rather than trying to do both at the same time. Yeah. And that's where we get those mixed messages and we get those mixed opinions and all those aspects that come in and like, you know, and you're doing a sport that involves putting on lean muscle mass, um, whether that is, you know, recreational gym work or, you know, that CrossFit standard, for example, like when I started CrossFit, I put on six kilos you know I mean? so mm. you know and that's because of lean muscle mass and if you have ways to determine that other than scales and you're gonna have a really good relationship with food but you're also gonna have really good understanding of how, uh, how like putting on lean muscle mass works which is again really important to, to focus on exactly because uh, you know any normal female would think oh my god I've gained six kilos I'm quitting this sport <laughs> this this is not the exercise for me because so many of us associate exercise with wanting to drop scale weight but if you're using more body composition me- measures and your performance in the gym strength that sort of thing, you develop a much more positive health relationship, don't you? Rather than just solely focusing on your weight. Yes. And like we said, everything affects weight weight, um, fluctuations daily. So it's like, why would you bother putting yourself in a negative mindset when you know, you know, if you're not paying attention to everything you've consumed and, and drunk and all that type of thing, it can be definitely a bit of a mind game for yourself. Mm. And then lastly, Taylor, for you, I'd love for you to tell our listeners anything else that you think might be important to understand from a CrossFit or from an, you know, intense training session perspective, um, anything that you feel like is another myth that you'd love to put to bed or just something to leave our listeners with, um, just overall or in general, a lot of things that you hear or see within that field of CrossFit. Yeah, so I think we all got from this podcast hopefully that you should should not cut carbs. <laughs> particularly if muscle growth is your is your aim um, but also mm-hmm. to, to always eat enough to support your training and what you do on a day-to-day basis I cannot stress that enough a lot of people are cutting out way too many calories and wondering why they can't see results based on the fact that they're perceiving them them being in a calorie deficit um, you know work with with if you're that worried about it work with someone who's accredited within this area too because what we want make what we want to see is that you are you know supporting your training and you're getting good results so you're fitter faster stronger um another thing is i can't stress enough how important it is to have a positive relationship with your food um Mm. all this focus on performance nutrition can really show um you know promising effective results but if your relationship with your food isn't positive it can be a hindrance and can cause more damage than you can than you think so don't eliminate any foods unless deemed necessarily medically speaking here um so as per usual you know work with someone who can help you um and it's not as difficult as what it is and if you get an overwhelming you know effect with your foods then you know maybe the best thing you can do is pull back and not track at all just enjoy the fact that you know eat to fuel and fuel effectively and go from there definitely couldn't agree with that more because i do i get so many messages from people and they're like you know dms over instagram i can't reply to them because i can't give them personalized advice and they're paragraphs long like they're like leanne i've done this this is my height my weight this is all i'm eating i'm tracking this i've calculated my protein my carbs and nothing like nothing's happened for weeks i'm starving i'm always tired and i'm like why don't you just you know take it back to basics like stop weighing it stop tracking it stop analyzing every single macronutrient you put in your mouth and start seeing food as food and eating real good food like the type of food our 
great, 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 great grandparents used to eat, you know, not a processed protein bar just to get in your gains. Like you can actually eat real food as well and still get great performance benefits in the gym or within your exercise sessions as well. So I love that. Yeah. Awesome. (laughs) Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for coming on today, Taylor, and enlightening us with your expertise. I'd love for you to tell our listeners where they can reach out to you, where they can find you, how can they book in a consultation with you and your social media handles as well. Yep, sure. So my website's um, thesportsdietitian.com.au, so dietitian spelled with a T, guys, not a C. Um, And then when it comes to social media, it's just at the underscore sports dietitian. And you're welcome to shoot me through an email. Um, In terms of email, it's probably best to get to make sure um, it's spelled correctly. Just jump on the website or shoot me through um, a DM on Instagram. But um, And then we can go from there in terms of booking. Awesome. Thank you so much. And again, thank you for coming on the podcast. And listeners, we'll catch you in the next podcast.